All right, so Todd, we're sitting here uh, giving a little bonus episode. I wanted to talk about your artistic process because I think it is so interesting. Um, we kind of touched on a few things um, in in the in the podcast, but I want to kind of know how do you go from like beginning to end um, when you're when you've you know when you've got it in from from your head to you know the the real thing. How, how does that kind of happen? It's a big story, well, the, I know. <laughs> yeah, the first part is to get it into my head, and um, I get my inspiration from a lot of places. You know, I'll, I'll I'll see a tattoo that's really neat, or a movie poster, or I saw a, a book the other day in a bookstore that was uh, Paradise Lost, and so I was like, that's such a strong little word there, you know, and so I'm. I manipulated it into Paradise Found, and I just created a piece that I took to Bentonville last week. Um, Bentonville has like over two dozen of my works of art all in downtown. But um, that's the first part is just the concept of trying to come up with an idea. And then I start uh, sketching thumbnail sketches, which are just small little two or three inch ideas. And then when I finally get something that's kind of close, I start working with gridded vellum and just the these little yellow um i'm not sure what these are but these uh, mechanical pencils uh i did a whole episode on pencils so i'm uh, we got to be very clear on what these pencils are for the for the connoisseur out there paper make sharp writer and they're just you know oh, i see the little yellow looks like a little a, you twist the end of it yeah that's really all I use. And I use Ticonderoga number twos. That's my favorite, you know, as far as a wooden pencil goes. But um, I start, you know, drawing the concept out on gridded vellum, and then I'll put another vellum on top and draw it again, another one until, you know, sometimes I'll do 12, not all, you know, usually I'll hit it within three or four sheets of vellum. But then when I get the design right where I want it, I put it in the copy machine and make a transparent copy and put that on the overhead projector and blow it up. Now, can I, can I stop you here for one second? So if I, from what I understand, is this, this is the part where you actually make several patterns, right? You have a paint pattern, a neon pattern, metal pattern, mounting pattern. That's what you're putting on the vellum, right? Well, the, the no? vellum is the design. That's okay. kind of the, the paint oh, look part okay. of it. So then when I enlarge it onto the wall, it goes from an eight and a half by 11 sheet to four to eight feet wide. Um, just like the high school transparencies. This is like yeah, the old school like projector, right? Yeah. yeah. They just wrote on with the marker <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. in, the, in the classroom. And that's exactly what I use. I've, wow. I've tried different things and I go back to just the overhead projector, you know, <laughs> and when I get it dialed in right where I want it, yeah. the size wise, Basically, when you draw something small and you enlarge it, I'll see things that I need to change full size. So I have to tweak it a little bit, but then I'll draw it full size. Then I'll put that on my table and I'll clean it up and you know have to go over it several times with pencil till I get it right. Then I take a Sharpie and do it all in, in darker color. Mm-hmm. And then I've got this machine that's called an Electro Pounce. And it's almost like a little welding rod, like a little welding stick. And you plug it in and turn it on. And when you drag this wand across the the black lines of the paper, it burns little perforated holes Hmm. in the paper. And so um, from that, I can 
it's kind of like having a tracing paper. You can lay that on another piece of paper and you pad it with either black or white chalk, hmm. depending on what your background is, and it transfers the image without having to draw it over and over several times. And the guy that invented that was Michelangelo, so he could put the images on the Sistine Chapel upside down and laying on his back. And uh -huh. so instead of drawing them up there, he drew them on paper, and he took a needle and poked holes in it. Yeah. And if you enlarge uh, images of the Sistine Chapel, you'll see little black dots. No kidding. Yep, yep, they're up there. So you go old school with these techniques, man. There's nothing modern about it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I could do these a lot faster on the computer, and um, you know, we we can do kind of assembly line process on these, but they're all made by hand, you know, and that's part of their charm is they're not they're not exactly perfect. They're my type styles are mine, and I draw them by hand, and so they they look like a human did them, mm -hmm. and not. They're not perfect like a computer, you know. I call it crude, crude charm, you know. Right. Um, but then from that pattern, I'm able to transfer it to other pieces of paper, and and then from that, I'll do the metal pattern, and then the neon. The paint pattern is kind of done, which is the first one that I did, and then the uh, mounting pattern, and then I don't bend the neon. I've got a, a guy that bends that for me, and now. I'm not doing the metal anymore since I expanded my gallery. I've got a guy making my metal work for me. And so, and now I've actually got someone creating and assembling. So I'm designing it and then I'm painting it and weathering it. And, and then I'm kind of the face of the business, but I've got a lot of great help along the way. So you're kind of like the architect now and everyone else is the construction people. Yeah. I'm the designer and, yeah. you know, the architect. The brain to the operation. But you don't really get, you don't get your hands dirty anymore, man. Like you wanted to work with your hands. What happened? Well, I, I paint and that's, that's the part that you, you get plenty dirty painting sure. and, and, uh, and then the pouncing with the, with the dark chalk, uh, can get pretty dirty. But, <laughs> um, yeah, I kind of miss, uh, I've never bent the neon, but I really kind of miss the metalwork part of it. Mm -hmm. But um, the part that I really enjoy is really the designing of it and the painting. And then I really enjoy the weathering techniques that I employ to a piece to make it look like an antique. That's the part that I kind of get a real kick out of more than the rest of it. Well, you know, it's, there's a couple of videos of you doing all these techniques, which are I'm going to put them up on the website. They're incredible watching you do this stuff. Um, but when you talk about the weathering, this is really what I loved is that you, in a sense, you talk about how did all these techniques, the neon techniques were lost to time. Uh, and you've kind of had to go back and rediscover them. One of my favorite things is that there was a trade magazine called, uh, the sign times or something like that. Signs of the times. Signs yeah. of the times. Yeah. And yeah. so you collected those, you still collect them and you've yeah. read everything in them. These are antique trade magazines from the fifties. Uh, this is, I mean, you really, like your dedication to the craft and the history of the artistic process, uh, I mean, is, is to me, that is the most incredible thing about what you do. Uh, I mean, like, that's what's amazing. What is, you know, I don't want to get into proprietary secrets here or anything, but what is the trickiest thing to do when it comes to weathering? Um, well, the rust has to look really Great, and um, so it, I have. It's the most time-consuming part because you have to kind of. There's I have these chemical agents that will rust metal, but it doesn't look as good as if you just 
make a piece and then you you scuff it where the uh, paint is worn down and there's bare metal showing if i have time to put that in my backyard for a few months it it gets a different rust finish on it um that's one of the the things that uh that's really hard to achieve um the other is you know, sometimes I go too far with the weathering, and I've got to dial it back the other way. And so, <laughs> can I you do that? To... Can you like uncut hair? Like, how does that? <laughs> you have to repaint, yeah, yeah, yeah. sections of it, and yeah. then um, and then let that dry, and go back and scuff it again. And sometimes, you know, it's kind of part of its little backstory. It looks like the sign's been touched up at one time and weathered again. And but, yeah, um, yeah it's uh, I, to to make it look not contrived is is you know it's it's mm. i finally got the techniques down but um you know early on that I, I would redo a piece and end up i've got photos where i just poured paint stripper all over the piece and said this, this is not getting out of this gallery looking like this i'm starting over and i would sand it back down to bare metal uh -huh. paint it out paint the background and then do all the graphics again and go okay dummy this time get it right you know uh -huh. and i would weather it again and sometimes uh -huh. Very rarely I've done it three times, you know, but I'll stick with it until it's right. Um, but, you know, sometimes early on when I was learning how to do this, it, mm -hmm. it, it, it didn't feel right to me. It didn't look right. And so I, I started over. Yeah, because I've seen some of the techniques. I've seen you actually doing the painting. And when you're done painting it, it looks amazing. So if, if I, I'm not capable of things like that. But if I had made something that looked that good, I would have an incredibly hard time than destroying it. Because essentially what you have to do, uh, I think one of your best quotes is you have to do something in a week that Mother Nature did in 50 years. Yeah. I, I would just hate to destroy like that incredible art design. So like, how do you get over that? Well, um, I have an appreciation for the old weathered neon signs. And um, it was hard. I mean, it, it, it's pretty tough to go to a glossy, shiny sign that looks beautiful and finished and and I've had people, you know, friends that had come in early on and they'd see a piece like, oh, you just finished painting that. And then they come back a week later and they're like, there is something seriously wrong with you. You know, like <laughs> right, what, yeah. this sign, you've got it beat up. It looks like it's got bullet holes. It's all dented in and all the half the paint's worn back off of it. And there's rust all over it. Like, what yeah. are you thinking? I'm like, this is what makes it, you know, really the next level of you know, it, it adds a lot of interest to the piece and, uh, it's hard to do. And it was, it was hard to, to, to do that where no one was doing it before me. And, um, but I felt like I was onto something and I just, I think there's a, a, a beauty about a gracefully weathered, not just sign, but, um, old gas pump or, an, mm -hmm. you know, old car. That's just something really beautiful. Now people are driving, really fancy neat old cars and you know they they leave the paint job all rusty and stuff brand new cars are coming out in a matte finish now that's because people were doing you know weathering on stuff you know does does every sign you do i mean just because you're in texas does it have to have bullet holes in it or is that just uh is that a texas no thing? not every one of them <laughs> yeah i mean i have one that's a uh horseshoe yeah and it's actually upside down so it says good luck but the whole graphics are spun upside down uh -huh. so it reads upside down but it i figured like well this one needs bullet holes you know right. like it's it's and i don't shoot it I, I drill the hole and then i have this cone-shaped hammer that i, I hammer 
the holes to where they look like they bent the metal as the bullet went in, yeah. you know. You don't really shoot it? I feel like you'd want to get, like, organic with it, you know? No, I, I, I don't think I could could uh, control the quality as well and plus you'd be blowing the back of the sign out and it wouldn't fit on the wall very well i do want to take Fair a piece sometime to a, a range and just have guys just machine gun this thing where yeah. it looks like swiss cheese when it's done yeah. um still haven't done that yet but i would just love to see a piece with a bullet hole every quarter of an inch on right. it you know just go crazy just yeah, just go crazy with it. All right, so last question here. I got to know the location that your current that Roadhouse Relics is in right now. The story behind that. You don't have to go through the whole story, but it is it is incredible. Why did you pick that place? It looks like it was so dilapidated. It didn't have a roof. I think you got chased off with a shotgun when the first time you went to go, you know, to try to buy the place. Why this place? Man, I don't really know. Um, Fair enough. I I was uh, I was in this trailer park, uh, living in this old '50s Spartan travel trailer, and I I just knew like I built my first shop was in that trailer park on the slab of the old abandoned uh, laundromat, and they tore it down. I built this little metal building, but I knew I needed something more, and I just. I fell in love with that area more than anything, that South First, Bolden Creek area. Mm-hmm. And, you know, a place like where I'm at, Roadhouse Relics, it's really hard to find a little small building like that. And um, there was a couple of them that I really liked, and one of them was definitely not available. But this one, I would just I just kept coming back to it and seeing it and just going, man, I know that's a lot of work, but, God, that's a gorgeous little – you can just see the old – beauty of what it once was and i would sit across the street on sundays and just sip coffee and stare at this place and i did go back and knock on the old trailer and the guy ran me off and yeah. told me it, you know it's not for sale it was baker's fruit stand it was an old just uh, community little corner store and um i uh, i stuck with it and finally um i found out that the guy had passed away and his daughters were putting it up for sale and so I bought it, and this was, in 1997, this was like the hood. Yeah. I had people that I really looked up to, business guys in town. I couldn't wait to tell them what I had bought, and they're like, <laughs> you're crazy. Do not do that. Don't you dare buy that place. You know, you'll you'll walk away 10 years rubbing your butt and wishing you'd never seen that place. <laughs> and uh, I was like, no, I'm, I'm going to stick with no, this. this. You know? And I, I slowly, you know, put a roof on it and... Um, just little by little, I turned it into the most unique art gallery in Austin. And, um, you know, now it's, it's a, it's, it's my sanctuary. It's like my church. When I come in there, I'm on hallowed ground. Hmm. I mean, it's just, I think that that story to me kind of encapsulates you as a person. Like that story is like, that's you. The story of your shop is the story of Todd Sanders. Uh, I don't know how you did work without a roof, but uh, you know we'll save that for another day. Todd, I, I really appreciate what you do and taking this extra time for me, so thank you so much. Thank you very much. I enjoyed it.